0: December 15, 2023, a fresh new podcast. I'm Crash. Mary Danielson is here, and today is one of our favorite favorite guests on mm-hmm, Stand for mm-hmm, the
1: Truth. Mm-hmm. Gary Ka is with us today. Uh, Hope for the World, org, and we're looking forward to chatting with him shortly because he always has unique insights into the global terrain and Everybody wants to talk about Israel this week, and I'm great with that, because everyone brings something different to the table, or added insights, and today is no different. But I want to talk about, briefly, uh, when I was a child, we uh, sang a hymn in church that has become one of my favorites, and it's, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and we only sang it at Christmas time. I recall being around, oh, I don't know, six or seven years old, but I remember struck, being struck by the words. I was confused by the words, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and Ransom, Captive Israel. That mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear, but rejoice uh, shall come to thee, uh, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Of course, as a kid, I thought Christmas was all about. I was a kid, pretty light, Sears catalogs, right, and wiggling through long church services. But I do recall how these lyrics struck me. You know, here are a people who are captive; they need deliverance, and we only hear about it at Christmas time. Who are these people? And it wasn't until I was saved that I was even interested in understanding that this was uh, an Old Testament hymn. It's a New Testament hymn. It's a future prophetic hymn. Uh, But I grew up knowing nothing about these things. In a few minutes, I want to ask Gary about when he began to be interested in Israel and the Jewish people. And everyone has a different story about that. So we are going to do that shortly. My scripture verse today, Psalm 31, 23 to 24. And it dawned on me it's very similar to yesterday's. So there's a theme here. But it says, Oh, love the Lord, all you his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Yesterday it was, wait, I say wait on the Lord, and he will strengthen your heart. So that was not on purpose. That's just the Lord. I think we need that. So I want to uh, open with prayer, and um, I'm asked that you pray with me this morning. Lord, we do love you, Lord, and that great and undeserved grace you extend to all who call on you. Help us to more and more cling to you, Lord, as our provider of every good and perfect gift, every daily blessing. Uh, Open our eyes to your works, Lord, your works in the world, in the church, and in our lives, Lord. I lift up Gary and his loved ones today for endurance, for wisdom, uh, to continue on until we can no longer speak truth openly. Uh, for good health for him and his family for open doors for ministry and we ask all this in Jesus name amen again we're welcoming back Gary Cove Hope for the World Ministry Gary's an author and a sought after speaker who brings uh really great insights to the events of the day and I have to say when I met Gary in the early 90s he was really the only one writing on the coming globalist society through his book En Route to Global Occupation, 1992. And he has a message that is crucial, I think, to the political and the economic and the spiritual future of our nation. <clears throat> Excuse me. In nineteen ninety seven, he sensed that God was leading him to write a book exposing the spiritual aspect of the One World movement. And he looked into the plans of the of the top new agers of the day and how certain uh unbiblical, of course, Eastern Mysticism was influencing Christianity, and that is in the New World Religion, 1999. Gary, we go way back, and here we are after 30 years talking on the radio about these prophetic themes. It's great to have you back on stand up.
0: Well, it's good to be with you, Mary, and, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad, very thankful that the Lord has given us these, what, 30 years. Um, you know, he, He's given us time to prepare. Uh, the body of Christ, and um, many people listen, uh, many don't, um, Mm -hmm. but it's an opportunity to share the truth, and it's really an an honor um, to be called to do what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Talk about having purpose and meaning in life. Uh, Thank the Lord that he's given us this opportunity. Yes,
1: absolutely, and I'm willing to wager, if I were a wagering person, that there are a lot of listeners out there, and those who will hear this podcast later, who were not saved then. And have gotten saved in this window of time at the church. And, and this should encourage all of us in the church and in ministry to say, Hey, you know, another day for people to get saved while we are doing this. We're, we're a little tired. We're a little weary sometimes, <laughs> but God is accomplishing things. And I, I, you know, if we were to ask, were you saved back then? They would say, No, I was not. So praise the Lord. And Gary, you have a great website, garycod.org. Again, hope for the world. What can we find on your website, Gary?
0: Well, you'll find uh, some past uh, interviews that I've done, including some with Stand Up for the Truth, uh, some articles I've written over the last few years, and, uh, and a few articles by others, and also materials that people can get that mm-hmm. will better inform them. Uh, and, and some of them I hope they will uh, uh, obtain and then share with their pastors mm. and, and uh, Christian leaders in their community, because we want to spread this information while we have time to yeah. do it freely.
1: Yeah, that's the key right there, while we still can. Uh, you have a newsletter, Winter 2024, and you are one of our last uh, guests for 2023, and I'm going to just take this opportunity to chat with you about what you're looking at as we wind down, but you also opened this newsletter talking about, um, as a child, when you received Jesus and how you became interested in Israel. Now, you were raised in a Christian home?
0: Yes, I was, yeah. Um My parents are immigrants. Um, My father uh, grew up in Croatia, had to flee from the communists at age 12, and then from the Nazis in Austria at age 13. And he's got quite a story to tell. And and my mom also went through her share of hardships growing up in southern Germany under Hitler with a father who was very outspoken against Hitler. So my parents came to the U.S. after the war. I was born in in the U.S. Um, We attended a German-speaking church the first few years of my life. I have very vague memories, but still Mm -hmm. remember a little bit, Uh, and that was for the sake of my uh, grandma, uh, who couldn't speak English. And then when I was about four years old, we began attending uh, um, an evangelical Bible-believing church just down the road from us. We could walk there and became very involved. Um, My mom even became the church organist eventually. And so I spent a lot of Sunday mornings going to church early and and listening to mom practice. But um, I remember what really grabbed me. Um, was the teachings of, of uh, Bible prophecy um, and the things to come, because I was already primed growing up in the home that I was in and hearing my parents talk about what they went through. So by the age of 10 or 11, I remember watching the evening news with my dad, being interested in international affairs, So, which I realize isn't typical for you know a kid that age. Yeah. And so it was kind of natural for me then to to migrate uh, also to um, have a real interest in in, uh, Bible prophecy. But uh, through all that, I accepted Christ as my Savior um, in June of 1970. I was just getting ready to turn 11, and um, almost immediately I I just had this fascination with, with Israel. And seeing what the Bible said about how this land that was basically barren for 2,000 years would, you know, again, in the, in the last days, um, become green, fertile, productive. Uh, there are many, of course, prophecies in the Old Testament describing that. And I thought, wow, this is, this is happening. You know, Israel's coming back to life. And, and I remember seeing a film on it at church. And, uh, and so that triggered uh, a real interest in Israel and the Jewish people that has never left me.
1: Hmm. Wow, that's a great story. Have your, have your parents ever written down their experiences um, uh, in that era? Is there anything written about their lives then?
0: Not really, but, but I have. I've taken hmm. some notes from, from my dad. Um, and it's interesting, he's 92 now. He's still alive. And his short-term memory has gone out the window, but he still uh, shares new things with me that I can't remember him ever sharing before. His long-term memory almost seems to be getting better. And so mm. I've, I've written a lot of these things uh, uh, down, just uh, some fascinating uh, stories and what he went through that we can't even imagine, you know, mm. a 12- or 13-year-old uh, going through. And his dad died the year before. And mm. so basically he had to grow up quickly and, and, and take charge with his mom and, and, and sister. Mm. But just one, one quick story. Um, When he lived in Austria, um, and, of course, he and his family were refugees at this uh, time. This was after the war, uh, and uh, he went to a home to try to sell some things. He was making baskets and collecting bullet casings and sawing them up and and polishing them and making rings out of them to sell to people. That's how poor they were. And he went to this one home, and the lady said, well, tell me your story. So he did. And tears began streaming down her face, and she ended up buying everything he had. And then she told him how sorry she was of everything that Hitler had put them through. And she told him that the house he was standing before right then that she lived in was the house that Hitler grew up in as a boy.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: Yeah. And, wow. and so, you know, he w- it, the Lord just had him in unique situations uh-huh. during that time that uh, impacted his life and, and uh, watch, watching over his family, too, and, and eventually bringing them to the U.S. And he's fiercely patriotic, mm-hmm. I mean, as many immigrants are, you mm-hmm. know, that came here legally, <laughs> who who really um, have an appreciation for the U.S. and hate to see the direction that we're going in right now.
1: Well, and especially the anti-Semitism. I mean, I did not see that coming because there are still people alive who experienced these things and who can say what happened. It's not like it was 200 years ago, Gary. This amazes me that it wasn't that long ago, and here we're looking at uh, college, uh, uh, you know, college presidents, you know, talking to to uh, Congress about um, trying to give an account for their stupidity. It's just mind-boggling to me that we would even be seeing any of this. And so I love hearing these accounts. We need these accounts because it keeps our minds sharp and it keeps us fresh. And so I really thank you for sharing that uh, with the audience today. And also, Gary, I think uh, a lot of us understand deep down the spiritual battle that is going on over the Jewish people and, and the believers, it's coming to that, um, that we're going on. Tell us a little bit about this unbelievable cosmic struggle that we're finding ourselves in in the last days.
0: Well, Satan's goal ultimately is to use the Antichrist and his globalist allies uh, to gain control over mm-hmm. the world. Uh, it, it's a, a play for control and ultimately to force all of mankind to worship him. Revelation 13 and 14 make that very clear. And so Jerusalem is front and center in this battle. Um, Obviously, uh, uh, Jerusalem and and the Promised Land, that's uh, the heritage of the the Jewish people. God made a covenant with them, the Abrahamic covenant. It it is still intact, um, and Satan wants to do everything he can to destroy that, to Mm -hmm. destroy the Jewish people and to prove God wrong. And so this is going to go right down to the wire. And the the good thing is we have the assurance of Scripture and the track record of Mm -hmm. already fulfilled Bible prophecies of Scripture to know that Jesus ultimately will return and put a stop to this. But between now and then there will be uh, some difficult times, uh, especially in Israel. And I think we've seen the beginning of that. Now, I don't think it's going to go back. I think things are going to move forward with growing hatred, unfortunately, of the Jewish people. And, um, you know, if, if Hezbollah and Iran become more directly involved uh, through Syria, um, this thing could really turn into a, a global war. And of course, we have the Ukraine-Russia conflict going on as well. And it's all interconnected. Um, Russia has a very strong presence in Syria. They've been there for decades uh, advising the Syrians. Many people are not aware of that. Uh, Iran also has advisors in there. Uh, Back in October, I think mid-October, my contact in Israel, whose son is in the IDF, he contacted me and said that uh, he just learned that Iran had put 10 generals in Syria, 10 of their top generals. So you have Iran involved directly in Syria right now, overseeing things together with with Russia And so um, the supplies are coming through Syria largely from Iran and going to Hezbollah, uh, which now has precision guided, missiles and rockets. It's not like the last war where they would just randomly fire things in. They can hit specific targets now. So if Hezbollah gets involved in this, Israel is going to uh, really have their hands full, and I think this time, unfortunately, a much greater uh, loss of life. Um, But right now they're dealing with Hamas, but they have to stay vigilant on the northern front. Uh, because I think it's just a matter of time till Hezbollah makes a more provocative uh, move. Mm-hmm. So a lot going on all around Israel. Uh, we need to pray for Prime Minister Netanyahu and, and Israel's leaders because you know they're facing a lot of the same um, dynamics that we are in the U.S. right now. Historically, Israel and the U.S. have been the most patriotic nationalist uh, countries. Israel in part because it's a refuge for the Jews it's where the Jewish people go to be safe and they want to protect their national sovereignty and here in the US people like my parents who came here to get away from all the you know political uh, global uh, moves toward globalization and and marxism that uh, they witnessed and and socialism Uh, And so patriotism has been strong here in the U.S. and in Israel. But globalists who want to see a a one-world government system come about, they have to therefore break down these two countries in order to merge us into this global system. Mm. And so the U.S. and Israel are the principal targets at this point in time. And once people understand that, a lot of other things, uh, the evening news news, makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. And and so we are in a spiritual battle. Israel's in a spiritual battle. I think Netanyahu is, uh, is doing his level best <clears throat> to defend Israel's national sovereignty. Uh, no one is perfect. I think he's made some mistakes, but I think he is really uh, under the gun. Um, uh, much of Israel's um, media, unfortunately, has become... Uh, more liberal, and some have even favored uh, globalization. So you have a generational gap that's developed in Israel too. A lot of the young people just want to be like all the other people in the world, don't want to be yeah. hated by the rest of the world. So they're saying, "Hey, what's wrong with us being part of a global society?" You know. Mm-hmm. So that's that's coming through, but you're. Older folks who fled persecution in other countries are saying, what are you thinking? You know, we need to defend Israel's sovereignty. This is the only place where we can be safe. And, and so it's almost a mirror image, what's going on in the U.S. and what's taking place in Israel. Very interesting.
1: It is very interesting. And, and when you think about Israel being in unbelief, but also what we would call a secular society, it makes perfect sense. When you think about what you were saying, that the younger generation there, they don't want all the rules and regulations of, of the orthodoxy. They want to be part of society. They, they really have shunned that but the lord has his hand on that as well and gary i want to ask you i want to just backtrack just a little bit you mentioned ukraine because as soon as this started we didn't hear anything unless zelensky was over here with his hands out that's the only time and one time he recently he he blew off a meeting he was supposed to have but he still wants money why in the world would we give him more money gary and what what is going on over there that we are definitely not hearing about
0: well uh ukraine has a lot of corruption that it deals with. That's not a secret. Mm -hmm. And so to have billions of our dollars going over there, not knowing where it's going, um, is just foolish. Uh, You know, at the very least, we need to have an idea of what the money's going uh, toward. The thing that saddens me is that the entire conflict in Ukraine could have been avoided. Mm. It did not need to happen. And if you look a little bit into how this came about, and some listeners may get upset with me for saying this, but I I, I don't care at this point. The hour is late. Mm -hmm. Putin was, in fact, provoked. And I'm not saying Putin is a great guy, but there are certain powers at work, sinister forces, that knew how to provoke Putin into doing what he did because I believe they wanted to stir things up over there. Um, Our intelligence and British intelligence were known to be involved and helping to cause the overthrow of the pro-Russian Ukrainian government. If you remember, it happened during uh, the Sochi Winter Olympics in Russia, which took place in 2014. And in the middle of those Olympics, I remember watching them on television and the ticker coming across the bottom of the screen saying that Ukraine's government had just been overthrown. And I remember looking at Audrey, my wife, sitting next to me, and I said, This time, they've poked the bear one time too many. There's no way Mm. Putin's going to take this lying down. It was an utter embarrassment of Putin in the middle of his Olympics when he wanted to showcase Russia to the world. And instead, uh, you know, the government, pro Russian government of his next door neighbor is overthrown. And looking at it from his perspective, it would be kind of like if Russia came over to Canada, overthrew the government and said we're in charge now canada is now an ally of russia no longer the united states that's that's how this would be taken by the russian people mm. um, i've been to ukraine several times uh kiev has been our main base to the slavic countries that's where my book was translated into russian and went out to all the slavic countries back in the early 2000s and so i've i've been there i've spoken in 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 churches and um um, we support three or four ministries in ukraine so i absolutely love the ukrainian people uh... They are so much like us you just feel at home when you're there and so the tragedy is so many ukrainian civilians have now lost their lives and also soldiers on both sides russia and and ukrainian soldiers tens of thousands yeah. through something that never needed to happen that i believe was stirred up by western intelligence because they want to move the world toward world war three why? Because if they can scare everybody to death and people think, wow, this is, this is it, the world's going to destroy itself. Mm-hmm. Between Hamas and attacking Israel and Hezbollah and everything and, and the Ukraine-Russia war, we're going to be brought to the point where people want world peace more than anything that's going to set the stage for globalists to come in and say, oh, it's strange you say that. We have the perfect plan to introduce here. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it involves a global system of governance and giving up uh, most or all of our control and freedoms uh, to a centralized global government. And they'll do it all in the name of democracy, and most people will fall for it, unfortunately. Wow.
1: Wow. And, you know, Israel, of course, as you said, is the timekeeper. But I I agree with you completely that the world has turned a corner. There's no going back from this. We are continuing to go deeper and deeper into the last day's on planet Earth, here, where God is going to to do what He is going to do with the nations, the Gentile nations, and with Israel. And you mentioned in your um, in your newsletter here why I stand with Israel. You talk about a final wave of persecution against the Jewish people, um, permitted by God, of course, but spearheaded by the Antichrist. So we're nowhere near done here. But it, you have Zechariah, and I want to just uh, read this real briefly here, Zechariah fourteen. to I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And on that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. The Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. So we know how it ends, Um, but it does point to the fact that, that the This is not going to change. You know, the persecution against Israel and this spiritual battle can only crank up from here. Uh, So, Gary, I appreciate you putting that in there. Um, And I want to talk a little bit, um, go back a little bit about it being a secular nation, because you have a segment in this newsletter um, about an illegitimate nation. And people uh, consider Israel, even in the church, to be illegitimate. And the church is part of the problem here, Gary. Can we at least uh, before the break uh, start to talk a little bit about where the church uh, is at in some in some of this and the U.S. role in that? I don't know which one you want to start with. We can certainly continue after the break. Where, why are the churches bailing on Israel?
0: Yeah, I, a lot of it is is because of the replacement theology that has come in, and most of your mainline churches adhere to that. And interestingly, they're all... Uh, I believe all the ones that hold that view among the mainline churches are members of the World Council of Churches, uh, which has received a lot of money from the Rockefeller Foundation and has really uh, pushed the globalist agenda in a a huge way. And so this anti-Israel sentiment that you see in more and more churches, it's directly tied to that. They believe that Israel shouldn't exist. It's not in Scripture. All Scripture regarding Israel was fulfilled with the the Jews returning from Babylon uh, back uh, several hundred years before the time of Christ, and so they reject any of the end-time Bible prophecies that clearly are intended for the end times. And an in gathering of the Jews that is much greater than the one from Babylon. Only about twenty to thirty percent of Jews, by the way, returned from, from Babylon. Thirty percent at most. Mm-hmm. The rest of them stayed behind it from there spread out around the world. Today, Mary, you've got forty seven percent of the Jews in the world who are back in the land. That, that's that's very interesting to think about because we tend to think of Israel in Bible times during the time of Jesus of you know, all or most of the Jews in the world being there, but they weren't. Mm-hmm. They were already scattered, many of them at that time. But today you've got almost half of all the Jews in the world back in Israel, even more than at the time of, of Christ. And so just to throw this out the window and say, oh, it's just a big coincidence, or it's a plan of the, of the globalists somehow uh to... Uh, create chaos in the world uh, by forcing the Jews against the Arabs in the Middle East, and, and so on and so forth. And they are definitely trying to manipulate that that agenda. But again, God will have the final say. And when Jesus returns, He returns to Jerusalem, not New York, not Tokyo, uh, not any other place in the world. It's it's all about Jerusalem. And um, I, I believe, though it's it's going to take the Jewish people with their backs up against the wall, realizing that everybody has abandoned them before they really turn to Messiah, and and at that time Christ will return and will rescue them. Um, You know, there is already, of course, as you know, a a remnant of of Jewish believers in Israel, and uh, many of the Jewish people in Israel have established very close relationships Uh, with Christians in this country because they realize that we stand with them. And so that door has been opened, and and I believe many Jews in the days ahead are going to turn away from secularism and embrace um, uh, Messiah. But right now, to give you the statistics, I don't know how much time we have before the break, but I'll start here. three minutes, yeah. Currently, uh, the Jewish population in Israel, age 20 and over, 44% self-identify as secular, another 21% identify as traditional but not very observant. So about two-thirds of mm. Jews in Israel really aren't practicing anything. They just have a Jewish identity because of their lineage, but they aren't really following God. And, and so I believe that's going to change in the, in the days ahead, but it's going to be under very difficult uh, circumstances. Um, I, I think an, another thing in the Church, to go back to that, I think uh, in evangelical circles... Many Christians have just been caught off guard by this sudden rise in anti-Semitism, mm-hmm. and they're fearful. They're thinking, wow, if Jews are being viewed this way, are the same people uh, all of a sudden going to hate Christians who stand with Israel and the Jews? And so they're fearful, and so they're reconsidering their, uh, their, their beliefs. And some of mm-hmm. them are looking at replacement theology and thinking, that's, hm, that might be a safer way to believe <laughs> than <laughs> yeah. if I don't have to stand with the Jews. And so that's why it's important that people like us right now make a strong case for why we should stand with Israel and the Jewish people, mm. because right now a lot there are a lot of seekers out there, even in evangelical circles, mm-hmm. that never took a firm position on Israel, and they're being forced to go one way or the other right now, and they're thinking through all of this. Mm.
1: Very, very interesting, and I wonder, too, about uh, denominational Protestantism, Um, where some may not even be born again. And I think that may feed into this uh, inability to really understand what's going on in Israel and to not have that love for Israel and the Jewish people. Uh, Do you think that some of the denominationalism that we we have in Protestantism is part of this problem?
0: Yeah, I think think that that is part of it. Um, But I know in, in certain Reformed circles, so much emphasis is put on the Reformers, and And they did a great thing, you mm-hmm. know they took they took positive steps to move us in the right direction, but back five hundred years ago when the Reformation took place, you know Israel was a desert. It really looked like God was done with the yeah. Jewish people, and so yeah. they the reformers tried to understand the prophecies and 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 really ended up algorizing a lot of it because they thought surely God's got to be done with with Israel, never anticipating that he wasn't. And so we can't be too hard on them, because if we lived 500 years ago, we might have done the same thing. (laughs) But now, fast forward, we see how prophecy has been fulfilled and is being fulfilled, and how uh, these end-time passages were, in fact, intended to be taken literal, that they weren't just symbolic or describing things that happened in the past, if you really, really Mm -hmm. stretch it, uh, which uh, the Reformers did in some cases, Mm -hmm. trying to make some of these prophecies look like they'd already been fulfilled when they weren't. And so that has become entrenched in the psyche of of many Christians. And then you have your, like you said, uh, people who profess Christ but aren't truly born again. And they've just bought into certain teachings without really studying and reading the Bible for themselves. So it's a combination of all of the above, really. Yeah, I agree.
1: I agree with you completely. I'm talking to Gary Codd today, Hope for the World Ministry. We're talking about Israel, the in-gathering, and we're going to continue on. I want to talk about the Muslim Brotherhood and also want to talk about some globalism that's coming up in the next year, all these conferences that they have. So again, Mary Danielson, Stand Up for the Truth, GaryCodd.org, and we will be back uh, in two minutes with more.
0: Feedback, questions, and topic suggestions are always appreciated. Email us at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com.
1: Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth for December the 15th. December is half over already. How does that happen? I guess one day at a time, right, like everything else. Um, we've been talking with Gary Ka this morning. Always great to have Gary back with us. Hope for the World, which is org, And... Um, we're talking about replacement theology and also about the end-time regathering. There are over 50 passages that predict that Israel will be regathered, and clearly it's from the four corners of the earth. If you read these passages, it's not from Babylon, it's not from the Arab lands. Four corners means four corners and there are statistics out there that certainly uh, bear this out, of people coming from all over the world, especially Russia, way back in the 1890s, before there even were planes. But the premillennial view is under attack considerably. And we've been talking about why there's replacement theology in the liberal churches. But um, Gary has in his newsletter, uh, Why I Stand with Israel, the winter quarter newsletter. He has a couple of quotes from the likes of Charles Spurgeon and J.C. Ryle, Um, And these go back a ways. Um, In 1866, Spurgeon, the most frequently quoted preacher in evangelical circles, he said, We shall at once profess our attachment to the premillennial school of interpretation and the literal reading of those scriptures that predict the return of the Jews to their own land and uh i certainly agree with that and for those who say there was no premillennial position until um the early 19th uh, 20th century that is absolutely wrong and this one i really love this is jc ryle the bishop, bishop of liverpool he spoke in 1879 and he said this it is high time for christians to interpret unfulfilled prophecy by the light of prophecies already fulfilled The curses of the Jews were brought to pass literally, so also will be the blessings. The scattering was literal, so also will be the gathering. The pulling down of Zion was literal, so also will be the building up. The rejection of Israel was literal, so also will be the restoration. And he says further, however great the difficulties surrounding many parts of unfulfilled prophecy... Two points appear to my own mind to stand out as plainly as if written by a sunbeam. One of these points to the second personal advent of our Lord Jesus Christ before the millennium. The other is the future literal regathering of the Jewish nation and their restoration to their own land. I tell no man that these two truths are essential to salvation. And that he cannot be saved except he sees these with my eyes. But I tell any man that these truths appear to me distinctly set down in the scripture and that the denial of them is as astonishing and incomprehensible to my own mind as the denial of the divinity of Christ. Wow. JC, tell us exactly what you think about that. Gary, what do you think about these quotes?
0: Yeah, I mean, they, they show that there are leaders from the past who, looking ahead, even before Israel was reestablished as a nation in, in 1948, they took the Bible prophecies literal. They realized that these had not been fulfilled through the return of Jews from Babylon, 500 some years before Christ. And they were bold in their day, because most Christians didn't believe that. You know, they thought all this was in the past and, you know, Israel was done. But both Spurgeon and J.C. Ryle and and others um, came out boldly in favor of this belief that Mm -hmm. this will happen because it's spoken of in the Bible. And and uh, the Wesleys too, even you know, a hundred years before that, wrote a hymn describing how the Jews would come back from all the corners of the earth and 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 be regathered in in Jerusalem. So, um, but it took a lot of courage back in that day because imagine being completely surrounded by Christians. That Israel, what are you talking about? That's already been fulfilled in the past. You know, they mm-hmm. they were essentially pioneers and taking a second look at the Bible and saying, hey, wait a second, these passages haven't been fulfilled. There's no way you can say they have been. And I've got in in our newsletter, and we're getting ready to post these. In fact, they might already be up um, during the program. If not, they'll be up sometime today. It's called the In-Gathering of Jews, where I just give a few of the Bible passages that are so clear. Uh, Just Here, I'll share a couple of them right now. Um Ezekiel eleven seventeen. Thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples, plural, assemble you from the countries, plural, mm. where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. Um another place, Isaiah eleven, eleven to twelve says. It shall come to pass, in that day the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, uh, and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Mm -hmm. Remember, they were only in Babylon for 70 years. And they may have spread out some during that time, but not uh, to the ends of the earth, which Isaiah 43, 5, and 6 says, uh, Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth. So this idea of them coming back from the four corners of the earth, from the ends of the earth, uh, and the north country is emphasized. It's interesting. 1.4 million Jews have made Alia from Russia and the former Soviet Union countries in the last few decades. 1.4 million. Um, And, and, you know, you can't just be oblivious to this. I mean, these are the facts. And um, so, Mm -hmm. anyway, we are seeing these prophecies being fulfilled in our generation. It should give us incredible... Uh, faith Mm -hmm. and the fulfillment of other prophecies yet uh, to to occur that have not yet happened.
1: Yes, absolutely. And 70 A.D. was, of course, very instrumental in in the Diaspora and scattering them all around the world. And, Gary, the process of restoration is a long one, I mean, from our perspective, because look at how long they were scattered to the nations following 70 A.D. compared to the Egyptian enslavement, which was a long time, and the Babylonian captivities um so the stretch between seventy AD and nineteen forty eight is is a very long stretch. But we also have, you know, their stubbornness. You know, you quote, Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent to you, I have longed to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Um but God has an appointed time and, and Jesus refers to that there. And then also Romans. There's an interval there and it's called the church. And it's a mystery. Um, and so there is that stubbornness God has hardened hearts um, so that the church can come in so the church today has to recognize the the entirety of the picture here um and here you and I are as a church waiting for that to be fulfilled um before another clock gets started um so the blindness yeah, and, and, yeah, go and ahead.
0: Romans yeah Romans 11 um. Paul wrote, as far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies on your mm-hmm. account, but as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Praise God. Um, you know, <laughs> and, and, and also a, a really important passage that I challenge uh, skeptics to read is found in, in Ezekiel 36, verses 17 to 32. And we don't have time to read the whole thing here, but it makes clear in there twice uh, it ends, it says, I am not doing this for your sake, declares the Sovereign Lord. Uh-huh. Um, but he's doing this for for his sake. For mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm going to do these things for the sake of my holy name, he says. Mm-hmm. Not because Israel necessarily deserves it, but because God is going to honor his covenant and his promises to yes. them. Yes. It's a very powerful passage. Again, Ezekiel 36, verses 17 to 32. I'd recommend that all listeners... Uh, read those passages and flag uh, flag those verses mm-hmm. in their Bibles. Mm-hmm.
1: And Gary, I want to add one to that that sort of echoes it, and it's Psalm 44, 3-7. to 7. It says, For they did not gain possession of the land by their own sword, nor did their own arm save them, but it was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your countenance, because you favored them. And that's a real favorite of mine. Again, it's uh, Psalm forty-four, three to seven. I love that phrase, "the light of your countenance," which just suggests His favor on them. So, uh, thank you for bringing up that. It's Ezekiel, what is it, thirty-six, Gary? Ezekiel thirty-six,
0: verses seventeen to thirty-two. Mm, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it really, it actually comes down really hard on the Jewish people, and and but saying that despite everything that has happened over the millennia and their rejection of Messiah. Uh, The Lord's going to bring them back, and he's doing it for his holy name's sake. Mm. And uh, he says, um, let me just read one of the verses. It says, I will cleanse you from all your impurities. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, Mm. and I will put my spirit in you. Um, and it says, Then you will remember your evil ways and wicked deeds. You will loathe yourselves for your sins and detestable practices. I want you to know that I am not doing this for your sake, declares the sovereign Lord. Be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct, O house of Israel. So, again, it's not because of of how holy Israel is or that they're way better than any other people in the world, but it's because of this covenant that God has sworn to them, and he's going to make good on that. And it's going to be a testimony to the rest of the world, too, of God's sovereign trustworthiness. And and so God is God, and Mm -hmm. he honors what he says, and he's going to do what he's uh, prophesied. And so I would rather bank on God's promises in the Word than all the promises and crazy statements of, of man.
1: Yes, absolutely. And we need to know our scriptures and we need to hang on those. So when people ask us why we support Israel, uh, we can tell them exactly why and that God is the one who's doing the doing. And it is not us. We just believe what God says. And, and we need to have a, a, a biblical worldview in these things. Um, and that includes our worldview about Israel is included in a biblical worldview. So uh, thank you for uh, encouraging us that way, Gary, so that we can know the scriptures and we can actually plant our flag on those scriptures. I want to go back just a little bit, you know, what's going on over there right now. I'd love to just stay in that one comfort zone, but we I just want to talk a little bit about um, the Muslim Brotherhood. I think a lot of people don't really know who they are, and Hamas is not acting alone um, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes forces, obviously spiritual. They want to trigger World War III, as you said. But there's a society out there that is um, well-funded. The Muslim Brotherhood, they founded Hamas, and they continue to steer this ship. And as I looked it up, because you mentioned, they've been around since right before Hitler, and I did not know that. Um, it was founded in Egypt in 1928 by a cleric, Hassan al-Banna, after the collapse of the Ottoman Empire. Um, and basically, he says, it is the nature, this this uh, gentleman who founded this, it's the nature of Islam to dominate, not be dominated, to impose its law on all nations and extend its power to the entire planet. So they oppose the secular tendencies of Islamic nations, and they want all of Islam, of course, to be under the Koran, under Sharia. And they are the ones who came up with the idea of jihad. They are behind pretty much everything. They are the root source of terrorism in the Middle East, but, uh, Gary, I didn't know that they went back to Hitler, so how interesting is that?
0: Yeah, yeah, they are the mothership, so to speak, mm-hmm. of, of um, the Islamist terrorist organizations. And if you recall, they almost took complete control of Egypt during the Arab Spring. In mm-hmm. fact, some of their leaders actually got into positions of power, but Egypt, uh, to its credit, cracked down on the Muslim Brotherhood leaders and and forced many of them out of the country. Now, ever since, uh, they have taken up shop in Turkey. Turkey has become their their safe spot. Uh, Some people believe that Turkey's president, Erdogan, is not only a supporter, but an actual member of the Brotherhood. I can't Mm -hmm. confirm that, but some things point to that. And they also have a very strong uh, presence in Qatar and -hmm. are closely allied with Iran. Uh, but I remember seeing a footage of of uh, the Muslim Brotherhood marching, doing one of their drills, and they were doing the goose step. I mean, it looked like wow. Hitler's Nazi soldiers marching, and I thought, how strange is that? And that's when I first looked into them and found out, like you said, they, they go all the way back to 1928, and they were closely allied with Adolf Hitler uh, in the 1930s and 40s. And I believe that's one reason why the Nazis uh, really put up a fight in North Africa, because they got a lot of their intelligence from the Muslim Brotherhood. Mm. So most people have no idea that it goes way back to then, and that basically they're these are is Islamic Nazis, if nothing else, yeah. Islamic Brotherhood. And they're helping uh, to support and, and underwrite Hamas and, and Hezbollah and these other groups, and a, a huge part of the funding is coming from Iran, which, guess what? Uh, U.S. leadership has made possible. Uh, we've removed the sanctions on Iran. Oil money is flowing into Iran. They're using that to help fund these terrorist organizations. So, on the one hand, the Biden administration is saying we stand with Israel, but on the other hand, uh, they're helping to supply the funds uh, to Iran. They could cut that off. In a heartbeat if they wanted to, but they're not doing it. Right. Um, so that's the unfortunate part of, of, of this, is the U.S. leadership, not the people of the U.S. up to this point so much as the leadership that has um, uh, come in and, and really worked with Iran and made certain things possible. And mm-hmm. it's putting Israel in a really difficult position now, because if they don't do something soon, Iran is going to have the nuclear bomb if they don't already have it. I mean, they're so close Mm -hmm. uh, to it if they don't have it yet. And so it's going to cause Israel to have to make some type of uh, a military move and then talk about the world getting riled up against Israel. Uh, Again, what we're seeing right now in Gaza, I think, unfortunately, is just the beginning.
1: Yes, absolutely. And following the demise of the Ottoman Empire... It was still Persia, and then it became Iran, which means Aryan, and the West carved all that up and gave that nation its name and so uh, that was uh, to me the beginning of the last days was when the monarchies fell over in europe and and we had two world wars and and um, all those dynasties fell, and we became they became nation states in europe I mean look at the upheaval at that time. And I don't know if people understand the ramifications of then the EU and Israel kind of both fast-tracking at the same time. Um, you look back and see the hand of the Lord. It's just phenomenal, Gary. And uh, there is so much that we could talk about here. I really, really would love to switch gears at this point if you're okay with that, because globalism is your, really a forte of yours. And coming up in 2024, as we get ever closer to 2024, there are so many – global confabs coming up, including Davos, which always kicks off the year in Switzerland. The WEF, this is their baby, and they are going to firmly more more firmly cement their goals. But um Gary talk to us about all these various things coming up because there's Interfaith Harmony Weeks and there's some really strange stuff coming up. So the globalists are really on a roll, aren't they?
0: They they are. Uh yeah, each year we do a global calendar of events. Um they give people a heads up of what they can expect uh, regarding meetings that globalists have planned around the world for the upcoming year. And there's literally hundreds of them. But we honed in on 21 or 22 Mm -hmm. of them, I believe, here uh, in our winter issue. And um, a a number of them are just New Age occult gatherings, but really huge ones that have, uh, you know, have been attended now increasingly by global leaders. But there's two I want to hone in on very quickly, very important globalist meetings Uh, because I don't want to run out of time on these. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be, the first one I want to touch on is May 27th to June 1st. It's the 77th World Health Assembly being held under the World Health Organization's authority. Of course, the World Health Organization is under the auspices of the UN. And at that time, uh, they expect to finalize the global pandemic treaty. And if this uh, is ratified, then every member nation of the World Health Organization, which the U.S. is one of them, will be obligated to abide by any future, uh, declarations involving health or any type of w- whatever is construed as a pandemic in the future. It'll give the World Health Organization basically dictatorial power over the mm-hmm. countries of the world. Uh, so you can expect, a, you know, at some point another pandemic or something that's construed as being mm-hmm. a pandemic. And if that's not enough, just a few months later, September 22nd and 23rd of 2024, at the U.N. will be held the Summit of the Future, and at Mm -hmm. that time, uh, they will be presenting and finalizing a a new guiding document called the Pact for the Future, and of primary interest is a recommitment to the U.N.'s Sustainable Development Goals and Agenda 2030, -hmm. but what this will do this pact for the future it the purpose of it really the main purpose is to to give the u.n emergency powers so that whether there's a pandemic or whether some strange event occurs in outer space Hmm. or a cyber attack or just about anything that they can construe as being a global crisis the u.n will have emergency powers to dictate what happens and they can extend those emergency powers indefinitely if they want to. So, in other words, between now and the end of September, if all of this goes through, we could potentially be living in an entirely different country a a year from now. Mm -hmm. Because once they have these powers, uh, you know they're going to use them at some point. It's just a matter of time. And and that's the big question. When is a crisis going to be precipitated that then allows them Uh, to implement these new powers that they expect to have by the end of September of of 2024.
1: Wow. And I think a lot of us, I've heard a lot of people express the sentiment that this might be the last uh, quote-unquote normal, if you can call it, that year that we see in this country. Um, And I think a lot of people are expecting big changes in 2024. We don't know, but I know people are definitely thinking along those lines. But again, Davos, January 15 to 19, and that World Government Summit, In Dubai, Uh, there's some really odd ones here, too, Gary, Um, like the uh, Interdisciplinary Conference on Psychedelic Research in the Netherlands. And it actually is a a summit on what it sounds like, mind-altering substances. It says uh, they're in a renaissance phase when culture is rediscovering the potency of mind-altering compounds. Society is embracing both the substances and their worldview-changing effects. Well, I think the hippies can attest to that being true. But why in the world would these things make a comeback and that they have to have a conference on it? Did that strike me well, a little odd?
0: Yeah, <laughs> you know, they're having so many other conferences blatantly, uh, New Age and Occult, and this ties in. It, it's in mm-hmm. the same category, but it's using, uh, you can argue, technology, uh, uh, chemicals, putting them into – our bodies in order to more easily achieve an altered state of consciousness. Mm. So what is being done at some of these other conferences through occult meditation and and Zen meditation, that kind of thing, they're trying to accomplish simply by taking mind-altering drugs. Mm. Um, I'll never forget years ago at our church, a lady had been praying for a friend for years that he'd come off of LSD and heroin and all that type of thing, and one Sunday morning she said, I have a praise, kind of, um, and she said, "Well, my friend, he finally told me this week. Uh, he's he's done with the drugs. He's been able to uh, kick the habit." So I asked him uh, how that happened, and he said, well, he'd been practicing Zen meditation for the last few months and discovered that he can achieve the same experiences now, so he doesn't need to use mind-altering drugs anymore. Wow. So mind-altering drugs are simply a lazy man's way of achieving an altered state, an occultic trance experience. And that's what's so addictive about it, because you're dealing with spiritual matters and most people don't realize that. It, it crosses the line into the spiritual dimension when you take these mind-altering drugs. So these globalists are using everything in their power to get control of people's minds to march to their drumbeat. Mm. And so it's not a coincidence that all the people organizing these conferences are globalists, mm. every one of them. Uh, all these conferences we've listed. So whether they're being billed as being political uh, meetings or economic, like the World Economic Forum uh... or or military related nato summits they're all pushing globalization
1: yeah, absolutely. So, we had, we had Carl Tekreba on earlier. I think it was in September. He had been to Burning Man. Now, Burning Man is one of those transformational festivals. And, uh, that, there's a lot of psychedelics involved in that, a lot of occultism involved in that. And those have, Gary, those have grown and spread around the world. I see there's a goddess conference in Glastonbury, UK, uh, in July, uh, late July, early August. And they always have one of these transformational festivals too. So I concur with what you're saying about, um, not just the global, uh globalism as far as running the world geopolit- geopolitically speaking but spiritually speaking cuz we're going to have a one world religion and all the sorcery and the demonic activity uh that was actually present when Jesus came the first time is going to be cranked up again in our lifetime uh have you done a lot of uh research on any of these transformational festivals
0: Yes I have and one of my sources is Carl Typer who is a very good friend and a contributing writer to our publication we've been we've been close friends for almost 30 years and Carl's actually been able to go to some of these yeah. and and get first hand accounts and it's yeah. just really mind boggling <laughs> and what, yeah one of the meetings he went to was the 2023 Parliament of the World Religions and i remember him sharing with me that this year they really ramped everything up and every one of these gatherings they've used different terminology to describe christians first it wasn't quite that antagonistic a number of years ago but every time he goes they become more hostile toward bible-believing christians Mm -hmm. and in this most recent meeting evangelical evangelical christians and evangelicalism was referred to as authoritarianism wow That's how they describe us. So you you see the handwriting on the wall. They see Christians standing in the way of their agenda and conservative Jews. And so we're the ones that they see as, you know, standing in the way that they're going to have to deal with. So, um, and and occultism, there's been this resurgence of, of occultism. And when you look at a lot of the political people who are at the forefront of pushing globalization, and you study them and their backgrounds, and the books that they read, and who their heroes are, people like Robert Mueller and Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, Mm -hmm. uh, basically um, your um, uh, uh, psychologists and philosophers who came really close to having a pantheistic worldview. In fact, they did have a pantheistic worldview, but they put a Christian-sounding top dressing on it. So just because something uses Christian-sounding terminology doesn't necessarily mean... It's of the Lord, because the devil can do that, and he has done that through these people. They make certain things sound so good. You know, when they talk about meditation, they're not talking about the meditation like what David spoke of in the Psalms, which was an active thought process of dwelling upon, reflecting upon the Lord and His goodness. When they talk about meditation, they talk about going into an altered state of consciousness, yes, an occult yes. trance.
1: Gary, I hate I hate to interrupt you there, but we're done for the day, and I wish we had more time. Always a great time with you and all the wonderful research you've done. We, we are thankful. Lord bless you, Gary. Thanks for being with me thank, today.
0: Thank you, Mary. Yep.
1: All right. that's That wraps up another week. Monday, we have a fresh podcast with Scott Shera and Jamie Walden. Uh, Tuesday, Frank Sherwin of ICR. Wednesday, a replay to be named later. Uh, Thursday, Headlines and Chris Quintana